You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, John Weiss. Hello. Hey, John. Great to have you back. Happy to be in town. Yay. And Gray's like, John's coming over. And we're like... Well, why don't we do an episode? I better record it. And so <laughs> what is hanging out if it's not documented, whether or not yes. speaking or or recording noise? It's like it didn't happen. We've so, actually made a pretty good point of documenting uh, our recent hangouts. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed that there's been such a gap. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, hang out, go. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> after this. Some stuff is going to happen. Well, stuff will happen. Uh, on the last visit, my last visit, Gray and I had a, a standing Monday session for our project, our ongoing project, Leather Bath, which is actually, uh, I think, over 10 years old now. That's true. Which is really bizarre yeah. to, to realize. Yeah. Um, but we had a yeah Monday session where we were recording... Uh, making visual work, videos, actually, you know, quite a broad range of stuff. And um, I think quickly in the next year, 2022, we'll be releasing a uh, a season of four seven inches. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Which so are the results. Yeah. Season. I yeah. Like Good it. news. Now, did you guys start in Los Angeles or was it remote first and then when and then Gray moved out here? Do you remember um, this? We our first session was in my oh, basement when yeah. I lived in Ann Arbor, and yeah. you played drums and I played synth, but I I don't even think I had drumsticks. I had some beat drums and like some screwdrivers, and that's what you were using. Yes, I do remember that. That was uh, that would have been like two thousand eight or nine. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, even earlier than yeah. Uh, I mean, I could I could be wrong. I lived in that house for a few years, but yeah, but yeah, something like some, somewhere, somewhere around there. Yeah, some time. I can't believe that never came out. I don't know where it is. Uh, or at all. did it? At this point, yeah, right. Is it remixed? But yeah, the, could, it could have been used. Snippets could have been used for something. Who knows? Mm. Leatherbath as it exists now really properly started when I moved to Los Angeles because John yeah. and I spent a lot of time together working on different projects, separate projects together, and mm -hmm. and then our own stuff. So yeah, we we decided we needed to to make it official, but we also have a the. Uh, additional much rarer band anti-civilization mass that's true which has never released anything no only played some some shows yeah only shows uh installation installation right um now if am i correct in that that's a reference to what i used to call sleep masks yes, is that correct it is mm-hmm Oh wow! I, I didn't that. know you did anything under that name. That's oh, yeah. great. Well, we haven't released that... anything, but we have. We've done uh, an installation, and we've done several performances, like festival things. That's oh wow! That's amazing. Yes, I big proponent, especially on tour of sleep masks. Huge, because mm. you just never know where oh, you're going to be. Oh, especially in Palm Springs, it's bright there. It is but really bright. A lot of places you stay. Sometimes the 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 blinds aren't drawn. Put that mask on, wipe civilization out. Now, <sighs> speaking of tours, before we get started, we're going to have a discussion about seven inches. Primarily, of course, we're going to bounce off and, and go on tangents. But before we discuss some seven inches in general, John, you have a tour coming up. Is that correct? Will you tell True. the people what that tour is, where you're going to be? Where they can find where you're going to be if you don't have all the days memorized. I don't have all the days memorized. But I mean, that's a lot. That's a big. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. Okay. It's. Uh, I think it's 14 or 15 shows. It's Sissy Spacek with Primitive Man and Blood Incantation, and um, it's there. They have a, a a couple dates on either side of our, our joining. Um, few before and a few after, um, but. We're starting in Michigan and then we kind of cut, cut down through like Atlanta and then up the East coast basically, and then cut kind of back over. And our last show is in Canton, Ohio. 
Um, Whoa, there but, you go. Yeah. Where? A deep cut. And but, when does it start? Uh, I believe it's December 7th is when we, when we start. Yeah. Right. On and so then very it, soon. Yeah. And then it's, it's like 14 dates. So we, I think our last date is something like the 21st or 22nd. Just in time for Christmas. Yeah. Excellent. We'll, we'll, of course, have a link up to those dates on the show page. That should be a pretty wild time. It's an yeah. early Christmas present for everyone. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's some. There's a few odd odd places on the tour. Um, I mean, at this point, I've I've played you know most cities, and so I, I'm actually always pretty excited when um, when I can add a new city to, to my, my, uh, accomplishments, <laughs> but, you, uh, um, you, I mean, do you, do you still like touring? Yes. Yes. Uh, does it come back? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's weird because of course, you know, I haven't played in two years now right. almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's definitely been, you know, uh, a wide range of emotions of, uh, you know, um, oh, yeah. of, of touring and, and, and traveling and stuff. Um, uh, real, hold on real quick. I, I just pulled up the dates. Um, oh, cool. West Columbia, South Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. Whoa. Um, yeah. Canton, Ohio. I guess those are, those are the only three that are, are new, new and- to me. And then, yeah, you know, of course, regulars, uh, Philadelphia, a couple shows in Brooklyn, New Haven, Cambridge, Buffalo, um, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Detroit. Yeah, all that stuff is going to be great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I am excited still to play any weird place that I've, I've never managed to play before. Um, cause, uh. Yeah, I do keep a list of of every show I've ever played on my website, and I mean it's like, yeah, I haven't counted, but I mean I think it's you know upwards of fifteen hundred shows, you know, um, and so at this point, yeah, any place that I can add to the to the list at this you know at this point is is welcome. I kept track of all my shows, uh, uh, maybe inspired by you, up until about two thousand nine or something, and then I think when I moved to LA, I just I just kind of stopped tracking shows. And I really regret it because mm-hmm. I would love to have an actual archive. There's there are shows I'm certain I have forgotten played at weird venues or weird lineups that are yeah. just like you got if you don't write it down, so you can't find a flyer anymore. I try to like look some of that stuff up. Yeah, it's weird. It's amazing how how much of that information just disappears. Yeah, um, and especially when you think of like how much effort it takes to put on a show or play a show or you know, just show up to a or, show, yeah, book you know, a tour or anywhere, yeah, yeah. Like you play, you know, you, you drive six hours to some place and play a show. Um, I mean, and yet people, people put out releases of stuff that, you know, that took them five minutes to record at home, <laughs> took no effort at all, you know, but, but yet it's documented for all time. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. You've been touring forever though. Like when did you start touring heavily? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I think it was like 99 or 2000 was like when I really started. I mean, when I moved to, so I, I think, I think of this history in, in two, uh, on, on either side of a line, which is when I moved to California, because mm-hmm. before I moved to California, I lived in St. Louis. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I made my first record when I lived in St. Louis. I made lots of tapes and CDRs and all this kind of stuff. I never went to a noise show. There there weren't noise shows, you know, at that time in the in the nineties and in that area, there it didn't exist. Right. So it wasn't until I came to California that I had the opportunity to actually go to a show that was a noise show, you know, that that was, you know, organized for these type of artists to perform this type of of stuff. Um so, you know, for, for me, the, I, I think that there's like a, a deep connection to 
the type of things that I'm interested in and a, a sort of overarching context of like antisocial environment, you know, like these are things that I enjoy in my room. These are things that I mail order. These are things that I get through the mail, not, not that I get through social interaction. Of course right. that's changed over time, but that's the, like the, definitely the foundation of it is like me, you know, sitting in a, in a bedroom in St. Louis, like seeking information, seeking like the type, these like types of things that I'm, that I, you know, was interested in would find out that I'm interested in, um, through like just little scraps of information through, you know, other means, you know, whatever was available at that time. Well, one of those things was, was seven inches, right? I mean, you said you recorded your first record in St. Louis, but it, it actually arrived in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, it's, it's true. I, I, um, <clears throat> the first record I made was, it was sent off when I still lived in St. Louis and, and, uh, I don't re really recall how long it t took to make. Um, I mean, I, I think it took, you know, a few months or something in, in that era. And also, you know, of course, everything was a bit slower because you're just sending things through mail and corresponding with, you know, pressing plants and stuff through letters. Yeah. Um, I did have it mastered through John Golden, who I knew through just sort of like, you know, punk and hardcore type stuff. I just, I had heard of John Golden before. And, um, I remember he, he called me, uh, in a panic, like, what, what is it? You know, he, he had never <laughs> cut anything like that. And he, he was really like, had a, a real urgency, you know, to the call, <laughs> yeah. like, what is this? You know, I don't, I don't know if I can cut this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But actually it sounded really good what he did. Um, but, yeah, the the record um it was pressed at um United. Um again, you know, it was just like the only pressing plant that I knew about and right. it it arrived at my apartment in California the day that I arrived. So I wow. drove I drove from St. Louis and when I got there there was a box, your boxes on the doorstep addressed to me and it was my first 7-inch. So that was wow. like I mean, you know, that clearly marked a you know a, a yeah a, a moment uh in in my life you know where i was like yeah okay i'm now moved to california now you know putting out records what was the impetus to start with a seven inch as opposed to a lp or another format well the the story actually goes <clears throat> goes back um even further when i in in 1994 i went on tour with this band um as a roadie and i asked them if i could make some shirts to sell uh and on the tour to to be able to make some money right. and i was 17 at the time um they they called me and asked if i could if I had my driver's license, if I could drive, cause they were going to ask me, you know, to come on this tour with them. And I said, yes. And actually I didn't, I had failed my <laughs> driver's license test yes, uh, when I, I was 16 and I just never bothered to get it. And, um, and so they, they called me, they, you know, basically said like, Hey, do you want to go on this tour with us? I said, yeah. Um, they asked me if I have a driver's license. I said, yeah. So then, the next day I went and got my driver's license and, and passed it, you know, it was, everything yeah, yeah, was fine. I mean, under under <laughs> pressure. Yeah, under pressure. Definitely. And I think that's the exact way to do it. Yeah. Yep, totally. <laughs> and then figure it out. Was yeah. it the parallel parking? Like which portion did you fail? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, cause I don't think I was a bad driver. Like when I was young, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was probably written probably, probably oh, something yeah. technical about yeah. like, yeah, signs or something like that. I, I didn't, quite get right um but so so anyway i i i went on this tour and it was the summer before my senior year of high school right so um at any rate i made these shirts um it was sort of like a uh, sort of like a, a vegan shirt it was actually like a, a full like a huge picture of that that painting of um like a man slaughtering a cow but their heads are are swapped so it's like it, a it's like a cow with a man's head mm -hmm. and then he's being slaughtered by a man with a cow's head 
it was this for the band or was this no, no, no. a shirt on its own? Yeah, gotcha. it was just sort of like a, a generic gotcha. shirt that I could make and sell. And then that right. way I could earn some money because, of course, they weren't going to pay me or anything. Right. Were you doing this before? Were you making shirts and stuff before this? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I made a lot of like silkscreen stuff in our basement and stuff like that. That was that was definitely uh, the sort of stuff that I did. Um, and at the end of the tour, I came home with a thousand dollars. Like I made 12 dozen shirts. I think I sold them for eight bucks or something like that. And I remember I left for the tour with $25 and a box of shirts and I came home with a thousand dollars. And so that was like great, you know, like 17 years old, like a million dollars. Yeah. 17 years old, a thousand dollars is plenty. Like that's, that's a lot of money. So, um, at that time I had, uh, um, you know, I, I, ever since, ever since I moved to St. Louis, um, I was going to, to shows at this venue down the street, uh, from our house. It was like called Bastille's. Um, and it had a, a really good run from about 89. Well, I moved to St. Louis in 89. I started going there immediately and then it closed in 94. Um, so after it closed, uh, shows moved over to my friend Amanda's uh, basement, and um, there was a band that played there that I, I really liked, and they sounded exactly like Angel Hair, if uh, anybody knows Gravity Records. Uh, sort of like a, they were a band from Colorado uh, called Angel Hair. They were on a label called Gravity Records, which was uh, definitely the sort of punk hardcore that I was, I was interested in. Um, great band anyway this band sounded just like them <laughs> so so uh i i became friends with them and they were from kansas city uh and so we you know kind of had a common uh correspondence um not a correspondence but um you know we would go back and forth to shows i would go to st kansas city for shows they would come to st louis for shows it was pretty common it's about three and a half hour drive a mutual visitation it, yes definitely um and I offered to put out their seven inch, um, and I was going to use this money to, to do it. And, um, and it was actually, do you know this guy, uh, Robert Lowe, um, Likens? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. It was Robert Lowe's yeah. band. Um, oh, cool. yeah. <laughs> oh, right on. Shout and, out to Robert Lowe. Yeah. And so they recorded, um, they recorded four songs and they're really good. Um, really great, but they recorded on a four track and, um, it might sound really quaint to today's ears, but they were like, ah, this doesn't really sound like a record. It sounds like a demo, you know, like, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, the quality isn't quite good enough. And I, I, I didn't agree. I thought it sounded great and I thought the songs were really good and it didn't matter what the quality of the recording was. And, uh, in retrospect, I think that I was right, but, <laughs> but because I mean, who, who gives a shit about, you know, I was recorded on a four track. Who cares? Like, right. It, yeah. it matters. If actually, it's, if that's exciting. I think. Yeah. yeah. It matters like, oh, if it's cool. good music. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So anyway, they weren't happy, happy w with it. And so eventually, you know, it just sort of, um, you know, they did, they didn't easy. end up recording again and then they broke up. Time moves on, you know, for those kind of bands. And, uh, so then I just sat on the money for, you know, a few years and then I had been making lots of recordings, um, you know, since the early nineties and always had like a, a lot of correspondence with different artists and stuff like that. Anytime I could find like addresses for, you know, artists, artists that, you know, eventually I would, I would come to discover that, you know were sort of in the same realm of, of what I was doing or, or interested, interested in. Um, I would just write to him and trade and stuff like that. And, you know, throughout the nineties, I, I traded with like a lot, a lot with Obe, um, pain jerk haters, um, Lasse Marhog. We, we started trading in like 96, um, you know, stuff like that. So at some point, you know, I, it, dawned on me like okay I'm, I'm making enough stuff it's reached a point where actually you know what i'll tell you where what the what the point was that i reached which was that 
probably around 1997, I had for the first time access to a computer where I could edit sound. And oh. that was the turning point for me because everything prior to that, it, it all, it all felt like stuff that I had recorded in real time. And I was, I just never felt satisfied by that. You know, I, I always felt like, you know, that something needed to happen with it, not just what I was able to do, you know? Right. Um, a polish. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like this, you know, you can talk off the top of your head. That's not a book, you know, like if you want to write a right. book, yeah. you know, it, it's not what you're going to come up with off the top of your head, you know? Right. It's going to take time. You're going to go in edit. Yeah. you want to put it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when I finally got the ability to edit something on a computer, that's when I felt like, okay, now I'm, now I'm making now I've finally been able to make something that I feel like I would like to put out into the world, you know? And so I, I made a seven inch and, uh, um, like I said, I, I had it cut at John Golden. It was pressed at United. Um, and landed in LA, landed in LA cost. I made 500 copies. The covers were printed by Matt, Matt Anderson from gravity records. Um, I, just again, like someone that I reached out to, uh, as you know, like having like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to make a record. Like, I don't know how to make a cover. And he, I knew that he worked at a print shop. So I was like, mm -hmm. can you, you know, yeah. make this also the cover of, of that seven inch was, um, all the, the type is uh type that I made. Uh, I was also like really into type design, uh, throughout the nineties. That was something that I, 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 uh, I did quite a bit of, um, so so anyway, the, the record arrived. Um, I made 500 copies. It cost $750 to make. Um, so I Different used times. Yeah. Wow. So I, I used, well, so I used, uh, you know, basically all that money that I, I had saved for right. this, you know, some kind of project like this. Um, then I moved to Cal, you know, then I was in California. The second record that I made was, um, the first moon landing comp. Which we have talked about on Seven Inch Sunday over on the sure Patreon. Sure have. Yeah. Uh, with me? No. We just, we listened no, to it separate, and discussed. without each other. Behind, actually, behind your back. <laughs> yeah. Oh my uh, God. You could say. <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh, that record, you'll be interested to know, I made, it was a one-sided seven inch, 200 copies, out the door, including covers, $199. Right. What? Wow. Yep. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's because amazing. then, then like once I made my first record, then I, then I saw the process I, and then I was like, okay, you know, I can make, I can make a record that's one-sided. I can use blank labels. I can actually the first seven inch had blank labels too. Um, but you know, I had, I had like a closer relationship with like, there were pressing plants in Southern California. Then yeah. I could like just call, you know, of course I could call any of them up, but then I, I, I had options, you know, and I could, I could talk it out with people. And I think f for me, even when I started pressing records, like Archer was in Detroit so I could drive right. to Archer and pick up my test pressings and get yeah. my records printed. And when I moved to LA, the way everyone did their center labels in LA, if you were doing printed center labels was like, GNM. you get films made and take them to GNM. Yeah. And so you would, you had these like, processes that you learned that were cheaper and faster and more direct to make than sending a bunch of stuff in the mail or yeah. online to a plant you had this sort of like hand-to-hand -hand relationship like anyone who's walked into gnm <laughs> knows what what that feels like yeah you, you can definitely you know at that time it it definitely felt to me that i could analyze each aspect of the process of making a, a record and make it the best way you know the most efficient the most cost effective the best quality and the fastest also i also in this time there was uh i i became friends with a guy named mike landucci who ran a, a oh black a, bean and placenta black bean and placenta tape club um never never met him but it was an early 
mail order yep. label that I discovered and was so into he was doing these such low run records yeah. and yeah. I'm sure you're going to tell us why he was able to do that. So he 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 was had similar interests in me which was to make lots of low run records. Um and he partnered up with a mastering engineer named David Cheppa uh who ran a, a studio a mastering studio um called Better Quality Sound in the Valley. I think it's still there. I think he's still doing stuff actually. Um, and he ran it out of an apartment and he had like a room that just had a great big room sized lathe in it. And you could, you know, just call him up and say, Hey, I'm going to come over tomorrow. Uh, and you know, he was like, yeah, that's cool. Come over. And then he would cut it in front of you. You could, you know, inspect the grooves with the magnifying glass. Yeah. You could, you know, he would, he would play it through the speakers as it was cutting, you know, so you would know exact basically you know exactly what you're getting and then um he someone in his neighborhood worked at RTI uh which is a plating company well i think it's also they do pressing and stuff too, but yeah. they yes. they they were a plating company uh for a lot of pressing plants in the southern california for sure um so he would just leave um his cut lacquers on the porch and this guy would pick him up on his way to work the next morning. So the <laughs> fastest record I ever made, um, I went, I was at David Cheppa's uh, cutting the record, and six days later, I had records in my hand. That's wow. Oh my because God. he cut it the next morning. It was taken to RTI. It was plated that day. They don't, they don't wait on that uh, because the, the lacquers age. Right. So they, as soon as they get them, they, they played them. Then the plates probably the next day were sent to Bill Smith. So that's two days. Uh, or the, Bill Smith probably had them on the third day. And then within a couple of days, they just, you know, it's hundred, hundred copies of something, probably, you know, hundred or 200 of something. And then, uh, yeah, he just called, you know, Kevin Smith called me up and said, yeah, they're ready, you know, come on over. And so, Yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill Smith was uh, just over by LAX, so you know it was about a thirty-minute drive. That's and one of my favorite fine. pressing plants I've ever been to, and favorite pressing plant to work with on it's, a regular basis. I'm, <laughs> I was heartbroken when they sold their stuff off to United. I'm, I'm to this day uh, baffled and saddened that they just abruptly sold everything and closed up shop. Because yeah. I mean, I pressed hundreds of titles there i mean i've i went there many times you know and and every time i went there um i mean i would always go in back you know like see what they're pressing watch them press stuff hang oh, out in the I office friends records stacked up and or coming off the press yeah. that's that's what i was about to say is it, it was unbelievable how when you would hang out in the office and see the jobs that are currently in play how many people I would see your jobs when i yeah. go there i'd see phil's jobs i'd see like yeah i, I it, was, it was crazy it's <laughs> it was really yeah just remarkable like how small the world really was you know at that at that time i mean i'm sure if you go to like you know, CD plants at the moment or something. You see a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. You probably see a lot of a lot you of. Have uh, to, you, you have to go pretty far for those. I do want to <laughs> interject because it will kill me if I don't. That technically we didn't do the we did the moon landing one and two. We seven did do inch. okay. So I do want to be clear that it Correct. wasn't that first one. Set. Gotcha. I felt mm -hmm. I was. I felt we didn't I was want to misrepresent ourselves exactly. or what mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. on seven but, inch Sunday. I mean, we even used Bill Smith when we had Archer close mm -hmm. by. Yeah, there was something about Bill Smith we really enjoyed working with them. Yeah, and they were so great. You know, they were easy they, to work with in the early, you know, in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. They were still like, um, they didn't, they didn't have um, setup fees, and you could use blank labels for you know five cents a, a unit, and yep. you know stuff like that. It wasn't like every every pressing plant now is just treats everybody like they're an asshole and you know everything is a package deal everything is oh you you want to make 200 records all right it's three-step plating mandatory you know like yeah. what are you talking about mm -hmm. you know and then when you try and 
talk to them like a human being like because you understand the process yeah like done this before like someone you know uh you know they they're they just they don't want to hear it you know you're you're too you're already too much trouble um and it's just yeah it's just really uh disappointing the way things have turned have you been moving more away from pressing vinyl then yeah um I mean, I, I always, uh, CDs have always been in play for me. Um, you, you, I always think of you as someone who was a champion of the CD. I, I think it's, you know, I think seven inch is the best format, but, uh, you know, second is probably CD because, um, yeah, I mean, across, across the, they win across the board. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, there was definitely a point at which. I think after I, I hit the hundred hundredth seven inch mark when I had the the exhibition of my first hundred seven inches, I think at that point I sort of had a, a soft feeling like, okay, that's the high water mark. You know, I'm not, you know, hundred seven inches. Okay, you know, that's that's right. that's probably what I'm gonna do. So then I I my it wasn't that my enthusiasm cooled, but my I no longer had a had kind of a goal. You know. Um, so that kind of cooled for a bit and then that kind of coincided with the sort of change of the, the, you know, yeah, the industry shift, the uh, industry change. Yeah. Everything being a 12 LP Led Zeppelin box set, you know, on nine (laughs) different colors for record store day. Yeah. Like that, all that stuff that seems to have pushed out a lot of small, uh, small labels from pressing vinyl yeah increased our turn times to insanity and and also came along with the setup fee minimum runs yeah. this and that it's not worth their time to run 100 records with blank labels anymore but you used to be able to get that done real easy single yeah single step plating and and they, uh you know like <laughs> yeah they used to do those jobs first yeah because you throw it on to get, get them out of the way the yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like mm-hmm. let's oh we got a couple small jobs let's just get them out of the way and now we can you know work on this uh 3, run of whatever you know yeah. um yeah so so that that changed things a lot um and like I said, I CDs, you know, growing up in the nineties and collecting, uh, collecting stuff in the nineties for noise, it was always CD. I mean, yeah, there were, there were records, but I mean, um, you know, Mersbau, yeah, Mertzbau, Alchemy Records, Alchemy, yeah. uh, anything CDs, foreign, you know, right. it, it was, it seemed or like tape, it was, but yeah, it, but yeah. for the, for the larger run of something, it was CDs were certainly the predominant and obviously relapse and yeah, et cetera. So when, when, yeah, when people, I mean, I've probably said this before, but when people, um, say that they like, they don't like CDs, they never listen to CDs, they don't collect CDs. We just listened to different stuff then because everything that I was into was on CD. It was on CD. Yeah. I mean, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Um, and for me, it just, yeah, I mean, it just never, never died because CD was always the most economical format, which also sounded the best and was also, you know, e- easily exactly like your master, you know? Right. right. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, every rec al- almost every record I've ever made, I would consider a version of my material. There's a concession, be it time, fidelity, yeah. frequency, response, uh anything. Yeah. Right. And especially in that time, you know, everything that I, I was interested in making was, you know, always on the outlier of like extremity. So I mean, you can be much more extreme on a CD than you can uh, ever with a with a record. Then aside from CDs, it is your feeling that seven inch is the ultimate format. I think it. What is your philosophy behind that? And let us in. I think it is because if you want to get into, if you want to get into like the 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 concept of a work, I think the this can generally be communicated relatively quickly i mean unless the concept is duration um i mean most most like sound works i think could be 
very succinct. And I think I always felt that like seven inches were cool because you, I mean, when you put it on, there's no time to get distracted by anything else. All you can do is listen to it. It's too short, you know? And so it, it commands your attention. Um, I, I was always, um, interested in things that were sort of like highly edited, highly reduced, um, things that were like really essentialized things that were very like brought down to their essence, yeah. you know? Um, and I mean that, you know, that also relates to the sort of more conceptual side of a, a sound work. Um, you know, generally being able to, to reduce it to something that's very, uh, critical and not, not bloated and long and, you know, whatever. And, and, I think also, you know, throughout the nineties, I was exposed to, I mean, everybody's been exposed to like just these really bloated tape releases. You know, every, everybody's releasing a C90 that, you know, right. Doesn't need to be a C90. Um, and so that was sort of my, my, my reaction to, to, to all of it was like, yeah, okay, let's just make something that's really, uh, a lot tighter. Um, and w is there any particular noise seven inches that you recall being examples of what you're talking about now or really inspired you to move more towards the seven inches? So this, uh, this record store in, in Warrensburg, Missouri, they had like three bins of records. Um, Mortem records was a distributor in the nineties that, that distributed vinyl communications. So they had this, it was, it was a powerful distributor. They also distributed like kill rock stars, stuff like that. Stuff that was, you know, pretty uh, popular for like punk and uh, stuff like that. But they, um, yeah, vinyl, vinyl communications was putting out a lot of haters stuff and they put out uh, this haters seven inch that I picked up there. I think one of my all-time favorite records is uh, this Melt Banana Discordance Axis split seven inch. The first copy of it I, I mail ordered from HG Fact in Japan, and I had a PO box at the time, and it came, it arrived, and they folded it in half like a taco and stuck it inside <laughs> my PO box. Do the not bend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the and, wow. So it was just. I wow, was folded amazing. in half and it, it didn't break somehow, but How? it was, it was, I mean, unbelievable. Like I pulled it, I pulled it out and it was, I mean, it was really like a taco. And, um, so, you know, all I could do is just mail order another copy. Of course it costs like eight bucks postpaid, uh, <laughs> or something from Japan. And at that time that was an expensive record, of course, but you know, but it was, I, I, you know, it wouldn't kill me to just order another one. Um, but that record is uh, pretty much a perfect record. You should, you should, it's, it's not a noise record, but it, um, I mean, the Mel Banana side is pretty weird and um, it kind of has some noise elements for sure. I saw them at the Fireside Bowl in the nineties. They were, yeah, they were one of my favorite bands uh, like in high school. And then, and of course they never played in St. Louis. And then the second I moved to California, I think I saw them like, you know, six times a year for the first like three years I, I lived in, in <laughs> California. Um, uh, there's also this, uh, UFO or die seven inch on skin graft. Um, which I think is also really one of my favorite, favorite seven inches. Um, I have only ever listened to it on 33, which is the slower speed. And I was shocked, like many years after listening to it, you know, endlessly, uh, one of the, one of the sides appears on a skin graph comp and it's 45. I mean, it, Clearly you know, 45. yeah, I mean, it, it was on a CD comp, so there's yeah. no question yeah. right, and it was right. faster. And, uh, and then I was just like, I was devastated and I, I put the record back on <laughs> and I listened to it at 45 and I was just like, Oh man, it's this isn't it's not as good. I've lived with it's not yeah. as good. It's so much better, like just slower and and oh god, it's it's a yeah. UFO or die seven inch on skin graft is is incredible, but it also ties. You know, there's probably also an emotional uh, connection because it also ties to the first ever 
noise tape that I ever had was um, a dub from a a, a friend. My friend's boyfriend dubbed a tape for me after hearing after hearing some of uh, the recordings that I was making. And on the A side, it was uh, UFO or Die, their album. And then on the B side was Masana, the I don't know how you say it, Noskal and Anna uh, CD on on Alchemy. Yeah. And um, heck I, yeah, I don't know. I think that was probably around ninety four or something like that. You'd have to check the dates on when those CDs came out. But I I, th- I think it was he was extremely up on the entire Japanese noise scene. I don't know how. And he <laughs> told me everything, you know, like uh, some of my tapes got to him and then he was like, yeah, let's meet up. We met up. He gave me this tape and then he just told me everything about like Gero Gary Gay Gay Gay, Hannah Tarash, you know, Hannah Tarash yes. shows, uh, you know, Masana, Mertzbau, UFO wow. or Die. Like he just, you know, told me all about it. And then it was like, yeah, okay, now I know about it. Now I can look for it. And then, you know, it's a lot easier to, to find something if you know what you're looking for. You know, right. this, this is, this is my, this is my philosophy on books as well. When I, when I go on tour and I stay at people's houses, I always scour their, their book collection because, you know, if you know a book exists, you can then find it, you yeah. know, but if you don't know exists, you, you know, there's no way to, 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 to search for it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Dude, Garrow, what a great seven inch band. There's there's yeah. a great oh, yeah. seven inch band. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you so, know, I think there also, you know, also Mel Banana, they they cranked out tons of seven inches in the nineties. Um, there were also a number of other other things. I remember like um I mean, this is completely off topic, but uh that band The Makeup, um Great they, Seven Inches. Yeah, they released t- just seven inch after seven inch after seven inch. And I always found that very inspiring too. You know, this and and they they really, you know, were tapped into sort of like like an very old school vibe of like singles. You know, they were releasing They had a, big a, whole set they had big whole seven inches. Yeah, they were releasing wave after wave of of singles. Um and I think that that's, you know, that's definitely like a history that I you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm in a completely sidestepping into a completely different stream, but you know, the idea of, of just releasing sort of singles. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say their comp, their comp, uh, (laughs) CD of all the singles is probably my favorite thing, but we don't have to add that in. Who, Mel Banana? No, makeup, makeup, makeup. Um, yeah, yeah. So good. Anyway. Yeah. Type you blood. So good. Type you blood is my favorite. John, do you feel like you've done that with with your seven inches? Do you think of them as singles with a B side? Is have you released seven inches of stuff that have come out on albums later or reworked versions? Or yeah, I mean, uh, for example, um, Soft Punk, which was kind of my first major album, um, that was almost everything on there was released as a seven inch first. Okay, it was. It's you know, um, yeah, it's it's all all of that material was was condensed to a seven inch side, then condensed even more to be like an album track. Okay. And that's, you know, and I mean, you know, you can, you can hear the variety in it. I mean, everything on it is sort of very, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's all very cooked down, you know, it's all very like, uh, rich in, in a sense. Yeah. When, did, when did you really start realizing that, oh, I'm on my way to 107 inches. This is the goal now. Yeah, I think I think around um, I think around 2005. So I started making seven inches in 98 and then probably around 2005 I've I realized like, oh yeah, there there have been quite a few made. Uh, at some point, I think I might hit a hundred. Um, and at that time I had sort of thought about this idea of making uh, a one-sided record that was just a single lock roof and it was just like a full, full frequency noise. And, and, you know, my thought was that it was, you know, this of course is 2005. So this is like at the peak of 
unchanging, uh, you know, wall of noise uh, style, you know, uh, uh, concept. Um, and of course, I was working with with Phil on LHD, and you know, he's just releasing, uh, you know, lots of stuff like this. And you know, Phil was Phil was always like a big. Uh, I mean, I don't th I don't think that that genre would even exist if if not for Phil. But at any rate, I thought, okay, you could make you can make this object that's that's a record. It's a record that's playing music. It's this single lock groove that's, you know, one full frequency sound for infinity or, you know, at the discretion of the, the listener. Um, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's this almost conceptual like removal of time because, I mean, in, in, in one, from one perspective, you know, a, a lock groove is 1.8 seconds, but, you know, from another perspective it's just infinity it's just going forever until you stop yeah. it at that at that uh you did a sort of a show of your 107 inches retrospective with a, a book documenting them mm -hmm. all and a great poster i remember i have one of those around here somewhere uh but also the on one wall every seven inch was on display and opposite it on a pedestal was this record playing in, in repetition yeah so the 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 wall was 99 records and it you know, it fit, uh, I mean, I can't remember exactly what the grid was, nine but by it, 11 or something. Yes. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. Nine by 11, something pretty close to that. And then the hundredth record was, uh, playing, you know, infinitely, uh, on the opposite wall. Um, and so, you know, bringing it back. So probably somewhere around 2005, I, I, I thought of this idea of this record and I, and I think I, I thought to myself like, oh, that would be a good sort of like end cap you know like that 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 would be a good last one sort of or, or something like that mm -hmm. and you know maybe 100 is not the end cap but it's it's you know a marker it's a you know seemed to be sort of a significant uh, marking point um but now um i mean i don't know if this is moving into different territory but now i i've you know now i i you know it's that was I hit a hundred that show was in uh, 2011. Now we're in 2021, 10 years later. Um, and I mean, I think I'm at something like 167 or something like that. It's actually like, yeah, it's actually like kept rolling. Still on, on pace wow. really for 200. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not that far away. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really um, sort of odd to, to, think or, or realize that 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 might you know that number might come around you okay know, so record so 200 is <laughs> 200 lot grooves each one taken from one of the previous 100 records there you go or just two lot grooves right now <laughs> now a and b you, side yeah. do you count there you go right a two-sided two there sides. you go that's fine do you count every seven inch that you're a part of or is yeah. it so collabs yeah yeah, Sissy yeah. Spacek, LH, LHD, that yeah. all added into the 100. Uh -huh. If you would file them in your section of records I'm on, which I, <laughs> do, do you guys have, do you guys have that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it, 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 it's an amorphous blob, but basically we have sections that are related to what we're on labels, et cetera. Yeah. But it, I wish it was tighter. It's, it's sort of all over the place, but mostly yes. And you have all your stuff in all your, all your seven inches that you're on in a, in a one place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have like, um, all my seven inches are organized in those, uh, comic book long boxes. Oh, I, I've helped you move. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I have like, you know, all my own records, like relegated to, to a box. Now, but, if I remember correctly, and maybe this is kayfabe, I don't know, you you had to borrow some for the exhibition. Yeah, I did. Um, God, I don't even remember which ones. Uh, did I borrow some from you? No. Um, I think there were a, a handful that, you know, just somehow in the course of, of uh, living, I, I just managed to 
not have a copy, which is unusual. I'm usually pretty pretty good at archiving everything. Um, We've only gotten good recently. It used to just be the yeah. style of, oh, someone's staying here. Oh, here I I gotta you gotta I yeah. want to give you some stuff. Oh, I'll 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 make a, a new cover. Never yeah. ever happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, John. I think like the through line that I'm seeing through this experience is that you kind of operate at a very efficient level. Like you like to take things down to their like most simplistic forms and then go forward from there. So it stands mm. to reason that you would have your seven inches organized together in one efficient box to house the men. Well, I'm, I'm actually not that efficient with records in general. I mean, I, I have the seven inches in a box and I have them in order that they came out. That's the only, that is the only organization of records that I have all, all of my LPs, all my other seven inches completely unorganized. I've never alphabetized records in my life. I've never done Same. it one single yes. time. Same. No, not at all. Um, yeah. Just complete and total barbaric chaos. And every time I look, but every time I look for a record, um, I can, I, I, I generally kind of know vaguely where it might be. And I, what I like about that style is that I inevitably start looking at records on my way to finding the one right. that I was right. thinking of, you know, yeah. I, I stumble across things that way. And I think if I had my records alphabetized, I probably, there'd be a little bit less of that, you know? It seems like a lot of stress. I agree. We don't alphabetize. alphabetization. Never done it. Then you pull things down. You have to put them back up. Well, we're looking, again, or the Connellys are looking, uh, since we're we're not in the same room right this second, at John and I sitting in front of my wall of records, which is both alphabetized and sorted by genre. So <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a different ethos. It's still <laughs> barbaric chaos, but uh, alphabetized within genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then how do you, where do you stop with the genres? Like when you develop a subgenre, like. You know, my my pickiest end? genre is probably European power electronics. <laughs> right. I mean, look. <laughs> Those guys are picky. It, do you have two power electronics sets? It's just European power electronics and everyone else? No, it's it's European and then everything else just goes into noise. There's a noise, you know. Oh. Noise. Look, this, this is like a philosophical wow. discussion that I don't think we should open right now yeah. because this organizing is records is a big, <laughs> this is a big that is like a big <laughs> topic of discussion, which actually I think a future episode would be great on organization yeah. of records. And I'm actually glad to hear that, John. In my mind, I, I would have thought of you as more or having your stuff more organized. I feel glad to know that you're a little more like how we have them here. Yeah, you seem some to have a systematic approach. Some stuff's not. And then, yeah, when we go look yeah. for something, we end up discovering a bunch of great stuff that we forgot we had. And it's, you know, it's just a constant. And it's like you're getting new records all the time. You're like, oh, my God, I haven't oh, yeah. seen this in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I just got a new record. Well, I, I was just, I wanted to hear John speak more about his interest in type. You said you were interested in developing it uh, early on mm -hmm. in your growth as an artist what what does that mean when i was in high school um i was really interested in uh photography and i took a lot of photos my high school had its own dark room um it wasn't like an arts high school at all it was a totally normal public school but for some reason they had a, a dark room as part of the the art department and um i was really you know i spent most of my time in the in the art department um I had a camera. I took a lot of photos, took a lot of photos of the shows that I was going to. Um, cause you know, I, every, every week I was going to punk shows and stuff like that. So, you know, this was something that was really sort of inspiring to me to like start to document and, you know, go, going to, going to shows every weekend was like not something that, you know, everybody around me was doing necessarily. So, you know, I felt excited by it. Um, and, I, and would take a lot of photos and, and, um, you know, would also like roll my own film, develop it myself, print it myself, make contact sheets, you know, it was very wow. like nineties, you know, level of like photography interest, you know? Um, and at some point, you know, I was also making zines and stuff like that. And at some point, um, 
you know, I probably through making zines, I became interested in graphic design. Um, probably just prior to that, I, I, well, I had an interest in graphic design, but I didn't have like a computer or anything, you know, like it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like, I, I, I mean, I, I, I want to shoot myself in the head for saying this, but it, it wasn't like it is now, you know, <laughs> like where you, everybody has a computer and, and you can, yeah. you know, you can compute and make stuff on your computer and, and, you yeah. know, and everything is, is pretty accessible and possible. So, um, I was, I, I was, uh, frequenting another thing that was popular at the time, this thing called bookstores. And we, they, they had, a, those. yeah, they had, uh, you know, tons of graphic design magazines and stuff like that. And I would always mm -hmm. look at them and was really interested in that stuff. So in one magazine, I think it was an issue of, uh, a magazine called how, um, they had a, an ad for a program that you could make fonts with, like you could design and generate font files. So you could design your own typeface in this program, generate font files and use it on the computer. So I had only ever really used a computer for like, you know, incredibly basic, you know, we, we had, we had like a PC, but I mean, it wasn't anything you would do anything with, you know? Um, and, um, at any rate, I mail ordered this program just based on this ad. You know, I thought like, yeah, that sounds really, that sounds really cool. Like I want to do that. So I bought Send this off for the floppy disk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it came on a three and a half inch uh, disc with a manual. So mm -hmm. I, I made out with a girl and got mono. <laughs> and That's I was how you so, get it. <laughs> so I was sick for like three. I was, I was like in, <laughs> sick in bed for like six weeks and I didn't have a computer for this program anyway. So I read the manual cover to cover in that time. <laughs> And then, Incredible. and then, uh, then when I was feeling better, um, I went to a computer lab at a community college and I just went in and I installed the program, worked for like, you know, six hours or something, saved everything on a disc, saved all my work on a disc, deleted the program and left. And then I would just do that over and over and over again. Like I just brought in the program, installed it, worked, and then, you know, left. Um, I thought the thrill was going to end with uh, the thought of you laying in bed sick, just being like, I can't wait to get my hands on that computer. I'm going to make <laughs> yeah. a typeface. Yeah, uh, totally. But it even gets better after that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so then, uh, yeah, so then I was, you know, I was just working on, you know, just some sort of intuitive idea of like what type was and how, how you make, you know, different letter forms based on other letter forms and like what their relationships are and what their differences should be and, and all this, this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of discovery in it. Um, and eventually you start, you know, sort of learning like what, the the kind of relationships are and systems are on what what makes up the concept of a, a typeface you know which is the basis of written communication um so then when i finally you know so i dove really deep into typefaces and my ongoing interest was photography so basically you combine type and photography you get graphic design and I had been making zines and stuff like that. So then by the time I was sort of like finishing high school, then I was interested in graphic design um, while maintaining these other, other interests. Um, my high school, I designed my high school yearbook uh, with PageMaker on five inch floppy disks. And it was only type and black squares. Like right. that was the only thing <laughs> that was the only thing that was possible, like computer, uh, storage and, and, you know, everything was so small. Like that was, 
the only thing you could produce, you know, was like a page with type and black squares. And then you would send this disc to like a company and they would put in the, the photos. You had to print it out and mark up like what photos go in where. And you had to mark up like the croppings of photos and stuff like that. So this is, this is how crude it was, you know, at this time. Um, and, uh, you know, through just some miracle of um, persistence, I started making tons of typefaces and then I started um, sending them to type foundries and a bunch of them got licensed and were sold around that time. So, you know, something like 95 through to the point where I went to um, CalArts, I would get twice a year, I would get royalty checks from type sales and they were, you know, they were like, thousands of dollars you know like it was completely insane for you know for someone my age yeah uh in my geography like two thousand dollars i mean when i moved out of my parents house when i lived in st louis my my total living expenses rent food everything was 250 dollars a month so two two grand went a long way i mean that was you know i could basically live almost a year for you know yeah on for, that, for, on that for money. inventing wingdings, which is <laughs> I did not invent wingdings. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what, what, what did you name slight them? Variation. Oh, that's what it is. That's I've used is. some of John's typefaces before. <laughs> what yeah, they yeah, they're on some country <laughs> yep. releases. Um, but yeah, when I when I then when I went to CalArts, um, I I went in. I started in second year. I was able to skip first year, and. Um, I made more typefaces there. And then when I was out of CalArts, like I made, I made a handful after that, but then it was also like sort of a, um, technology issue. Like the programs that I used didn't advance to as the computers advanced. And I never, you know, you know, I didn't buy new programs and then I was interested in other stuff. I was touring and whatever, you know, like I just got into different stuff, but I mean, you know, outside of, uh, you know, post school, I made custom type for different companies. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the work that I did sort of post school was like, um, identity work. So it would be like logos, graphic systems for, you know, like you have a company and then you have all these subsidiary companies. How do you make like a system of, of type that will make sense, you know, and you can expand upon, you know, for all and make all of your companies look coherent. Um, much like was, a label. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot of the, the kind of work I did, you know, after school. That's fascinating. I it had is. no idea. I did yeah. not know that that was something that you did that early on. And then also, you know, maybe it makes sense coming from that background. Um, I also mostly did print design and like, books and catalogs and stuff like that for for you know museums and and publishers and stuff like that and all that stuff is very like type based right um and i think i i you know i had sort of a unique um experience of coming into graphic design through type design because it just gives you a completely different perspective on the the sort of the nuance of how like you know the shape or curve of this letter like completely changes the vibe of you know the the, the experience yeah. yeah 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 oh that's killer so the cat catwoman cover was type that you designed yeah i mean that was sort of like it, it was type that i designed but it wasn't you know uh, later i would go on to design more like um or Concurrently, I was designing more like text typefaces, you know, versus that is more of a display typeface. Right. But yeah, well, that that kind of type, you know, I was I was um, also exploring, you know, that all those characters are just made up of sort of like collaging other crude letter forms and and stuff like that. Yeah, which you've still done like on the your uh hairstylistics. Yeah, stuff, totally. Right? Like the that same kind of work. Yeah, that that thread, yeah. I think it 
if you if you look for it, it's it's keeps going. Well, well now I'm gonna look for it. Well, Catwoman started us off. 160 some seven inches later, we're still going. What is the next seven inch you have coming out? Um, I have one that I'm I'm really excited about. That is a collaboration with uh, Ukawa from Mom and Dad Productions. Who put out those weird live yeah. Hanaderash CDs along with the yeah. Bachelor Space Age Bachelor Pad stuff, right? Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. He, wow. um, we recorded uh, a duo at the um, Satuchi Triennial. Uh, in which he had a residency. The last time I was in Japan, um, I went out there to perform on like a TV show that he was hosting, and uh, and then we re I played solo, and then we played a duo. And the the edit of this recording is is going to be a seven inch that's coming out. Heck yeah! On helicopter. Yeah. Awesome. Aww. Well. Yeah. You know, a funny with bated breath. A funny story. He he interviewed SpaceX for for uh, this uh, TV station uh, as well when SpaceX uh, toured Japan in in 2018, and um, I basically immediately turned it into me interviewing him about those Hannah Tarash CDs. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Those and are, he had so an, weird. He had an incredible story, John. I am excited to hear this story about mom and dad because that label is always fascinating me. Those CDs are so weird. Yeah. We are going to pop over on the Patreon for the Extra Noise Extra <laughs> segment and we're going to discuss these CDs and what you heard directly from the mouth of the man who ran it. Reminder to everybody, Sissy SpaceX on tour on the East Coast. We'll have the links up to the dates. Any other tours after that that you have lined up or not yet? Uh, not yet. Still sort of feeling things out. Um, yeah. Because I'm, yeah, I'm not even, I mean, I don't think anybody's even comfortable doing a, a tour uh, yet, but, you know, at some point things need to, need to just move on. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't very succinct. No, 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 that's great. <laughs> so, but the, the Sissy SpaceX tour, that is the most imminent one. Get yourself yeah. an early Christmas present. There you go. Go to Sissy SpaceX show. And... Thank you so much, John. It's always great talking to you. Always love getting a chance to catch up. And it was great hearing about your history with Seven Inches as well as typography. Thank you. I had no idea. It's so cool. Heck yeah. Well, we're going to hop over to the Patreon and talk about mom and dad. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.